Christian here, welcoming you to another special edition of the Workprint Podcast. In this one, we interview comic writers Eric Peterson and Joe Aubrey about Space Bastards, uh, whose Humanoids Volume 2 trade paperback releases today, wherever comic books are sold. The series is co-created by Derek Robertson, whose work you may recognize as co-creator of hits such as Happy and, of course, Amazon's The Boys. Uh, and yeah, like overall, Space Bastards is kind of like what you get if you took Futurama and The Boys and made a very silly parcel delivery service that was both violent and over the top. Um, I had a blast interviewing Eric and Joe, who had uh, nothing but love to share about their process of creating comics, uh, tell us a bit about their backstories, as well as the, uh, the folks that they have that did some of the art for the series. And more importantly, uh, they share with us the time that Eric nearly electrocuted his balls off, all for the sake of making more Space Bastards. Listen to the episode to learn more about uh, Space Bastards and visit their website at spacebastards.com to help support the comic by buying more comics. Welcome to the Workbrand Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and theworkbrand.com. talk until until he gets here how are you today yeah uh promoting like uh the uh the trade paperback or just just work i guess work yeah yeah, yeah. that makes sense uh, yeah how about you i've mostly also work too um yeah I, a lot of my time is uh maintaining the work print and doing these uh kind of interviews and recordings uh, but then also, I'm actually a writer, too, on the side. Um, that's kind oh, of cool. what I'm trying to do, honestly. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. My dream is to try to, well, my goal for this year, at least, is to try to get a, a graphic novel started. So I might ask you guys some questions about that for the podcast. I love talking about it, so yeah, let it rip. All right, cool. He should be here any minute. I know he's just getting off his other stuff here, too. So, so what kind of comic are you looking to do? Horror. Um, I've, I've got, I kind of, I'm, I'm trying to release two. One of them is basically a parody of like the zombie genre. That's my dream project. And, uh, the other one is more of like a, a horror themed monster comic. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let me just text him just make sure he's still, but he, last I checked with him, yeah, he was planning on coming. So. Yeah, cool. I saw Batman last night and then Joe and I were up all night chatting about Batman. He hasn't seen it yet. So I didn't spoil anything, but that's cool. Um, I actually haven't seen it yet, but I read the early reviews and it looks amazing. Yeah, it's unique for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so like I have a couple of friends much bigger than I in the industry, and um, their early take was, "This is the best Batman since Dark Knight." Do you agree or disagree? Uh, I mean, it's opening a can of worms. Like I don't think Dark Knight is a good Batman movie. I love the Joker. I love the Joker in it. I love, I love a lot of the stuff that's in it yeah um i don't really like the nolan batman character that much um yeah it's a guy that just because of like the foundation of a guy not wanting to be batman um even though that's grounded and probably more realistic i, I think that's just not really the batman that i grew up with and, yeah um, that makes sense uh, uh this isn't that i i my review is really simple i think it does a lot of things that all of the live action movies haven't done 
um, and it does them right. And I kind of, I'm like, yay, they did the stuff that I kind of was always hoping or wishing that would be tackled different in the live action movies. And then there's some stuff that uh, like, that I'm kind of surprised they didn't do right. Like there's some stuff that I'm just like, yeah, that's just, I don't know, uneven or weird or whatever. So it's not my favorite. Um, I like it certainly, I think more than the Nolan Batmans. It maybe is my, maybe my favorite. Um, live action Batman. I just don't know yet. I've got to watch it again. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I will too. A lot of people have mentioned that. Uh, so Joe's here. Let me add him into the. Uh, awesome. um... Hold on. Wait a why? Why don't we have the Space Bastards background? And this guy interviewing us has the Space Bastards <laughs> background. What are we I, I thought it'd be funny to see my head between the woman's legs. All right. Let me. I'm gonna start recording now. Uh, Joe, really quick. Um, I have 20 questions. I'm. I'm just going to ask you guys about the comic, and this is like a very informal, conversational style more than anything. So, yeah. Okay. I got time. You you ask all the questions you want. You've been oh, a loyal perfect. Twitter follower, and you've got interest, so you do what you need to do, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> First, uh, for anyone unfamiliar with the series, uh, what is Space Bastards, and can you give us a quick elevator pitch? Sure. It's, it's, uh, it's about the Intergalactic Postal Service. Uh, it's very difficult to get packages between planets. And so the Postmaster General, Roy Sharpton, um, comes up with this new, the new rules of the, of the Intergalactic Postal Service, which is kind of like Lyft or Uber if, they, if those were uh, very violent. It's whoever delivers the package gets the cash. Uh, postal workers can use any means or weaponry necessary to steal that package and deliver it themselves. And the more times that a package exchanges hands, the more times you hear parcel transferred, the more fees are collected from the customer. So the bigger the payout. This originally attracts only like ex-convicts or people that are kind of like get shot at, you know, would be used to getting shot at for a living. But where we enter the story is when Space Bastards very quickly starts to attract just anybody who's disenfranchised, you know, tired of the nine to five, tired of punching a clock, maybe just unhappy in life. They're at the point where they have some aggression to get out and they just want to be masters of their own domain a little bit. Totally, and uh, I I love that mechanic of the uh, of the parcel transfer. It drives a lot of the energy. It reminds me of a video game, honestly. It's kind of awesome. Awesome. Yeah, because yeah, it's like oh, it's just one up, one up, one up, uh, and it raises the stakes, which is cool. Um, all right, so this is a question for both of you. Uh, when did your creative partnership begin, and what skill do you think each of you brings to uh, this creative endeavor? Uh, go ahead, Eric. When was that? I think we started, we had a mutual friend and we, we met, I was making films at the time. I had kind of a TV and film background, like a, like a, a, a aspiring background. And uh, I worked with a lot of friends to get this stuff done. And Joe was just super attentive and, and genuinely kind of a partner and interested in what I was doing. And, and eventually we started making these kind of space bastards movies. And, you know, the problem with making movies is that like every explosion costs money or there's only so far you can take it on a on no budget or whatever. Whereas in comic books, which by that point, I had already kind of started dabbling in comic books. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can kind of do whatever you want. So we really felt it would work best as a comic book at that point in, in terms of the next step for it. Um, did you actually have like explosions and stuff? Like, did you actually film some of the early space bats? No, I think I think I was like doing like After Effects and like like comping that stuff in or whatever. You know, I mean, they're not great movies by any. Were they like YouTube, like during the YouTube heyday, whenever? No, I erased all of them. But the <laughs> okay. uh, but if you have issue one, you know, Humanoids issue one of uh, Space Bastards in the very back, there's like a QR code you can scan and it shows some of that stuff. Yeah, we had a smoke machine and. Uh... We had uh, live wires, and we almost uh, electrocuted uh, Eric's balls in an elevator. 
That was the last Space Bastards thing we shot. And then we were just like, yeah, man, it's too much. Oh, you're serious? Yeah, yeah no, I'm completely serious. And I'm like, oh, my God. Is- I thought you were joking for the sake of the... Okay, yeah. No, no, I'm not joking. That was That's what huh. happened. No. It's one of the funniest moments, I think, like in our, you know, literally we were trying to do like the shot where like people walk out of a smoke filled elevator. So the idea was you put the smoke machine in the elevator, close the doors, let it fill up and then elevator doors open and the person walks out. Well, we didn't re- and we had somebody above. It was a three story building. So we had somebody we were on floor two. We had somebody on floor one and floor three to stop people from pushing those buttons. What we didn't realize is that the elevator's default setting is like doors close move. And so all of a sudden, like the doors close. And the wire sticking out of it just starts dragging all the lighting equipment and everything. And the door opens. It doesn't get very far. The door like immediately opens. And Joe's standing there. He like yanked the wire out of like just ripped it out of the smoke machine because we were going to break. It was going to break the elevator. I mean, it was going to be a big issue. Yeah. And he's just holding there. And I like run up to him and just be like, oh, my God, are you OK? And the, the live wires uh, sparked right next to my genitals. Yeah. So you actually like to get your pulse for the series. That's dedication. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Um, all right. So this comic started as a Kickstarter project. Uh, how long was that in the making? And how long did it take from idea to publication, like your first uh, release officially? The original release, I believe, was in, uh, what was that, 2013, right, Eric? Is that when we when we did the original Kickstarter, 2013, 2014? Yeah, Three, somewhere in there, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did like a prototype. Uh, we had we had the issue one script and then kind of the outline for the for the first year roughly roughed out. And we had an, an, another artist at that time, Gabo, who's worked on the most recent issue uh, that's been out in stores, uh, uh, special delivery, and also has uh, other artwork that you can see in the, some of the other one of the other stories. Um, he uh, he did a whole version of uh, issue one for us, and that was kind of our prototype. And we had we'd submitted it to Diamond and sent it to some publishers, and we're kind of uh, Working on that, we decided we would kickstart that and uh, and and use the capital then to to uh, make the rest of the series, uh, you know, at least three issues. But what what Gabbo was engaged in some other projects, and and so um, although the Kickstarter was successful, um, we were we were kind of at a dead end because we were going to have to change artists, and that's how we you know kind of switched gears and 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 swung for the fences and got Derek on, involved. That's awesome, by the way. Like that that whole story. And I love the the videos you guys made about how you got Derek with the bathroom thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh hey, <laughs> check out our thing, puppet. Uh looking back, would you guys do anything differently from like since since 2013, I guess? Yeah, like everything, probably. I think other than other than like the actual story itself. I, I, we're very I, I well, I don't want to speak for Joe, but I think I think we're pretty proud in terms of the actual work in the book itself. But launching a comic book is pretty hard work and it's it's difficult because Space Bastards has kind of an esteemed uh, collection of artists. And so it takes, a, you know, it takes a lot of money to kind of get that thing up and then to make the hardcovers. The hardcovers are super oversized and really high quality. So navigating all of that stuff, you kind of, we had to learn as we go, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and then of course, like when the book comes out finally in stores, like COVID hits and like we Space Masters basically is out during the, the COVID years, which also change how changes how we would market it, I think, because there's no, well, up until recently, there was like no shows, no you know, yeah. different, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you got Derek on board, uh, how important was he for the process? I think it's integral, yeah. I mean, in terms of the visual look of the universe, but not only that, but being just another, like a, another sounding board. We, we write Space Masters primarily with, ourselves as our audience i'm trying to make joe laugh joe's trying to make me laugh or vice versa or we're trying to like surprise each other with turns 
well, during the outlining process, by the time we're scripting, we, we kind of know everything, but um, Derek was really valuable. Derek is valuable on every level, but one of the earliest levels, like surprising things that he did was just giving us feedback, like just going like, yeah, you know what, this could be tighter, or, you know, you know, um, what about this or whatever, you know, and a lot of those ideas were just really critical. I mean, they really helped inform where we took it. That's pretty cool. And I, he's a friend of my writing mentor. That's the only reason I kind of know him unofficially and was able to find you guys actually, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, he seems like a really dope guy uh, on Twitter and stuff. And uh, I, it's really awesome that you guys got to, to work on this with him. I mean, yeah, like uh, Transmetropolitan's dope. So, uh, okay. What's up? It's a dream come true for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big Derek Robertson fan. Same. Uh, okay, so you took bounty hunting in space westerns and brilliantly replaced it with the idea of courier executions and postal delivery. <laughs> Can you tell us uh, how instrumental this plot device was for focusing on the postal delivery aspect in space? And uh, what was the uh, tension building of, uh, how did this contribute to like the tension building and like what you guys were aspiring to create? Because it definitely raises the stakes, definitely. We, you know, we needed a, you know, uh, Eric was always, uh, you know, he thought about this kind of, this universe since he was really young. And he, his idea was always to have like a universe of, you know, Han Solos and shady characters, you know, all in, in a, in a sci-fi setting doing something. And, and they, the idea of the postal service and, and moving packages, we needed, we needed something that needed to be transported. We needed a time limit. We needed stakes. And we really didn't need to be real specific about what it was, but we needed the, you know, the characters as, as, as kind of the, it became apparent we were going to have an ensemble cast or we're going to focus on certain characters. We wanted them to be in danger all the time, not just from the setting, but also from, from, uh, you know, what, what they're, well, just at any point, if they're eating, they're in trouble, you know, they're in danger, they're going to get shot around every corner, they're going to get shot. And we needed a, a mechanism for that. And the movement of packages across space really seemed like the, uh, the, the, the right idea. We, we took a while to kind of refine the, those rules. And, um, and this was pre Uber, actually, you know, I think in another universe, Eric and I would have created uh, Lyft or Uber, and we'd be, you know, really, really wealthy right now, you know, he'd probably getting sued and doing too. But instead, we made a comic book about a, about a gig economy that really didn't exist when we initially were thinking about it. That's really cool that you guys foreshadowed the future in a sci fi story. So, you know, you're trendsetters. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this question's for Eric. Uh, you went to film school. Can you convince our listeners why they should never go to film school? Or better yet, can you convince them why they should blow all their hardworking delivery money on film school? I went to a community college. I couldn't afford to go to like UCLA or USC, which is really where I wanted to go at the time, or NYU. I, I couldn't afford it. So I went to Scottsdale Community College. Cool thing about Scottsdale or SCC, the artichokes. Um, well, well, Bill Hader went to school there. Um, is like, it's super vocational. Like you shoot a film like on 16 millimeter and edit it within your first like six weeks of being there. So for me, it was worth, I, I think I like fell backwards into the kind of teaching that I like, which was get up and do it. And then I ended up getting, I ended up getting hired as an editor and then I became the producer of a TV show. And that was kind of more, same thing. It was stressful as hell because like I had a job to do. I had to like raise the revenue of the show considerably and I succeeded at it, but like kind of the same thing we do with the comic book and every other creative enterprise. It's just like more voc more vocational training and you have to do it like quickly and be agile and all that stuff. Do you so think I guess, yeah, I don't think it's really the, the answer you were looking for. I, I, in, in my case, it worked out, but I think it only worked out because 
uh, I was very much on kind of the production end or like vocational training end of it. Okay, cool. So like it was worth the experience basically. Yeah, All yeah, right. totally. All right. Uh, thanks for that info. And mostly because I know a lot of people who pursue the arts are always like, can I afford film school or just art school in general? It's very expensive these days. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's easier and easier to learn, I think, without that. So yeah, DIY stuff is cool. And then uh, film school rejects is really cool. I'm a fan of that. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe, this one's for you. Um, we have something in common. I'm a former uh, psychological caseworker, and you are a board-certified psychiatrist. Knowing Ooh, all the dirty in-betweens and legal paperwork, do you find struggles in keeping these worlds separate from, like, space bastards and your job, basically? Um, I really enjoy my job. I mean, my job is, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just very different. You know, it's, it's nice to have a creative endeavor on the, on the side. I mean, I, I spend all day, and no one no one really listens to me. I'm listening to other people and trying to figure out what to, what to do. And, and um, you know, I certainly, you know, prescribe things or give them advice or, or, or you know, give them guidance or answer questions. And you know, it's kind of an educational role, but no one's really interested in what I'm thinking about or what I'm, you know, my opinion or, you know, and there's a limit to the type of humor I can use in a, in a clinical setting, right? Totally. And I'm, I'm a sole practitioner, so I'm not in there with colleagues or anything. I'm in there with people that I'm actually taking care of. So, you know, you have to maintain that <laughs> that boundary, a certain certain decorum. That's exactly um, what I was thinking, too. I'm like, man, that must be hard. But yeah. Yeah. No, well, I mean, that, you know, and it's and, you know, you get to know people and sometimes you can, you can let a little bit of that down. But but I so I've enjoyed the comic because I can I can uh, I can, you know, and with Eric and with and just with the audience, you know, now and with uh, with this, the characters, I can I can, you know, push things to the extreme and you know, say and do crazy stuff uh, that, um, and it's, it's great to have a creative outlet. And I think anybody that's in any kind of science or any kind of uh, service uh, industry, it would really benefit from having a, having a, you know, a, a creative outlet, outlet like this with writing. And when you deal with people this much too, I think um, it, it helps because, uh, you know, you, I, I don't know, you can, you, it, it's, it's been very therapeutic for me. I mean, I, I, I it really gives me a lot of, um, uh, you know, it gives me a good balance that I wouldn't have otherwise. That's awesome. And like, uh, did you see a little bit of influence from like your work and in, in terms of like your creative outlets in terms of, uh, you know, ideas or creation? Was there anything at work basically that inspired you to make anything in the comic? I see such a, a, a wide swath of people. Most of my people have jobs or have, you know, lost their jobs. You know, I've, I've been in practice since 2002. So I've kind of been through, been through the housing crisis. I've been through the kind of the rise of the gig economy and, you know, the, the recession and, the, you know, the great resignation or whatever you want to call it here with COVID. And so, you know, I've seen how that affects people, uh, you know, in, 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 you know, in a couple of generations now. And, and, um, and, and, and a lot of that informs some of what we do with the characters. And there's, there's certain situations that are so ridiculous and so crazy that people get themselves into that I'm, I get a front row seat to because of my job. I can kind of, um, use that as a springboard and think, well, what if it were four times more ridiculous or what if that were happening in outer space? So it's, it's really good. It's real fertile material or totally. fertile. It's, it's, a, it's a stimulant, you know, for, for getting, uh, you know, like anybody, you know, uses their, their everyday experience for, for, um, you know, any, any writer, I think, you know, you write what, you know, you get a, you get a lot of, uh, interesting, uh, human reaction and, and understanding about people's motives and, uh, fears and concerns and, and uh, you can you can kind of uh, you know you do, we just exaggerate that some, sometimes and, and can inject that into parts of the characters. And situations. Yeah, and I, I think it, yeah, what you guys made here is totally relevant to the times and stuff. So I can see how that influences uh, the other one, which is really cool. Um, 
All right, so pivoting to the art, uh, for both of you, what's the difference in your scripting style uh, in terms of like working with different artists? Do you script differently working with Derek than you would like Cliff Langley or Simon Beasley? Yeah, completely. So I'm, I think that's actually kind of one of the more unique things we do is that we'll have the outlines for the issues um, kind of figured out and then we'll try and figure out which artist is probably best for which kind of story yeah. Do you and guys then, do Marvel method or um, full script? No, full script. And and we'll uh, and then we'll do another pass actually. Like we'll do a lettering script after all the art's done just to kind of clean stuff up and, and make any changes. But like the, the thing we do is that like I'll read for like a month, I'll just read nothing but books featuring the art of those whoever we're working with. So that the idea is hopefully sequentially when I'm writing the script panel to panel, I'm thinking in terms of their virtual visual language. So that's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, then Joe right. kind of Joe kind of comes in and helps me like clean it up and like change that dialogue or shifts any of the fighting or the plot points and all that stuff too, you know. Yeah, you you asked earlier when we didn't really answer. We like, what does each person bring? And I think uh, you know Eric's familiarity with these artists, these 2000 AD artists. I mean, certainly we kept Derek for the main main plot line, you know, the main um, you know the the main story arc, and then we have these um, other stories that you, you, you get glimpses of, you know, in the, in the humanoids releases. And then, and then we're, they're interspersed much more frequently in, in, in the hardcovers that we sell, where we, um, where we use these other artists to sort of explore uh, singular characters or, or situations. And, uh, where, you know, so we, we have the general idea of the story and Eric really is the tailor, you know, he's the guy that takes the suit and makes it fit the particular artist that, that, uh, we're using. And, uh, it, it's really, it's, it's, it's really, it makes the um, issues distinctive from what Derek has done, but I think it also stamps that particular character and it enhances the, the personality of the, of the individual characters and some of the more minor characters also. So that when you get back to the, the Derek arc, you have, um, you feel like you've lived with them a little bit and seen them in a different light. Yeah, totally. And I, I like that you guys do that because it does make each uh, thing more feel like an ensemble which I think is what your guys are going for. It's Space Bastards, right? It's not just one person's story. It's this whole universe and what's going on, which I think is really cool. Um, that being said, uh, what has it been like working with uh, humanoids in terms of the art, in terms of the production? They're, they're wonderful. I mean, like, it's been really a treat working with our editors and with, with Mark Wade and, and Alex uh, kind of on the back end there too. I mean, they've just, and they've been super supportive uh, in terms of the book. Um, it certainly was, I think, with us launching in 2000, like last year, you know, it, it was a tough year, I think, also for the book. It, it, the response was absolutely stellar, like far and beyond kind of what I was expecting in terms of yeah. just the critical reviews and everything, um, especially for a year with minimal, you know, conventions and stuff like that. They've been really great. They came in, I mean, we had pretty much finished the entire, you know, almost, you know, 500 pages worth of stuff. And we finished almost all of it, like 95% of it before getting getting together with humanoids. So we, we gave them a, a, a large um, parcel of, of completed work, which they could have ripped to shreds or, or said, this isn't the way we want it to go or whatever. And they, you know, they digested all of it. They read through it. They had, um, you know, they were really receptive and, 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 and complimentary and, uh, and good to us. And, and, you know, it was a crazy thing to do to, to just, work for that long with so many different artists churning out stuff that no one's really read other than us and the artist and and then just hand it over to them and, and thankfully they 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 got it and um and so it's been a really good partnership yeah i mean it sounds like it's been pretty incredible 
what's the difference between uh, the director's trade paperbacks on Space Bastards versus the ones being released on Humanoids next week? These guys? Yeah. Oh, are we audio only? <laughs> yeah, we're on. Oh, that's right. We are audio only. I mean, we can see each other for the sake of seeing each well, other. Yeah. I, for, the, for the audio listeners, I just held up a copy of the heavy, oversized Space Bastards hardcovers, which you can get on spacebastards.com. But really, the thing is, you touched on it earlier, since we have an ensemble cast, we also kind of tell some of the stories. Uh, they have, like, there's a lot of flashbacks where there's a lot of different chrono- chronological events we can go to. There's, there's kind of the, what Humanoids released, what we, what we chose to do with Humanoids was kind of do the sort of the the fastest directive direction of suspense and everything else through that single issue and the trade paperback order and at the same time we have these directors cut hardcovers that actually tell those stories and a little bit more extra content in an order where it's more kind of like i i would call it like the lord of the rings edition you know you're you're exploring to give you a perfect example uh whereas in humanoids the chuck story happens at uh, I want to say issue six, right? Yeah. Uh, Simon Bisley's first story in that humanoids line. Uh, that in the hardcovers actually happens in issue, like it's like the third story. It takes, we'd show you that one right after um, kind of the story that it ties into. So the biggest difference I could say there is that it's like, it's like the uh, kind of the, the more expansive reading order where you'll understand things. We'll, we'll take a moment and explain things that you might, I think, want to understand more about the universe if that makes sense yeah totally and they're huge they're gig- they're gigantic they're like yeah. nine inch, ten, yeah, 13 by nine inch the large like door-sized um hardcover 130 pages in each one there, there's four of them there's two available right now i mean they're gigantic beautiful you know it's the the best format available it's our you know it's the if you if you need to kill somebody with a copy of Space Bastards, it is the best version to kill somebody. <laughs> I mean, totally. Like, it it's, it sounds like it's really cool. Um, I think the meeting's about to end, so I guess this will be the last question. Uh, unless I don't I don't know if Zoom kicks you out if you go over. Do you guys know by any chance? It depends on the type of account you have. I have a paid one, so like I don't know what'll okay. happen. But last question, no, just try to squeeze it in. And if not, if we have more time, then I'll ask another another couple. Uh, what is the uh, the biggest thing you'd like fans to take away from the series? That's a good question, Joe. The biggest thing I'd like for the fans to take away from the series. I mean, I think there's there, there's a there's a place for this type of uh, 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 dark humor. You know that you can be uh, you can have unsavory characters that that aren't necessarily uh, politically correct, but it's fun and it's and it's not you know uh, harmful. And uh, I, I'd like for them to take away a desire to see more because we just want to keep making more. Um, we think there's you know a thousand more stories that we could tell in this universe, and um, uh, I, I think that the tenacity of our characters uh, mirrors what I what I, I, I hope it's, it kind of inspires people at certain times. I want people to get the same exhilaration from it that we get when we're, you know, that, that, like you mentioned, a video game is sort of like that when you're you've already killed six people in a video game and you're just and you're running the flag. It, we, we we want people to feel that when they're reading the book. We want people to laugh and be surprised. Those are all the things that we just want them to be entertained. That's that's all I want them to take out of this. No, honestly, right now, given everything that's happening, I think it totally totally fits that. Yeah. Well said. Christian, do you want to keep just asking us questions until it shuts off? I mean, I don't mind. 
Uh, yeah, I can keep it. It's supposed to, like, the because I set the Zoom meeting for 7 to 8, and I thought it would cut out by now, but it didn't. So I can, I guess, finish the other questions and stuff. And then after that, um, we can call it a wrap, or you can keep talking. Um, either way, uh, there's only, like, four or five left, so, um, yeah. Uh, okay, here, yeah, I guess, I guess it's because it's 8.01 now. Uh, all right, so do you guys, um, you guys already wrote a lot of the series. How many issues do you have planned so far? As many as readers permit. The deal with it right now is we, we handle things, we outline things in terms of almost like TV seasons. Okay. So us, the four hardcovers, which volumes three and four right now are on their way, um, those four hardcovers cover like season one for us. And to be honest with you, that's kind of a logical stopping point if finance you know doesn't permit. But then depending on the amount of hardcovers that we do sell, that allows us to make further years. Um, Honestly, every dime that's taken from the sales of any Space Bastards merchandise, or especially the hardcovers on spacebastards.com, that directly goes to funding like enough money for year two. I mean, mm -hmm. we love our artists. They're great, but they're also too like, I mean, it's expensive producing this stuff. So um, that's kind of where we're at right now is that honestly, if we, <laughs> if we can figure out a really good model to, to move enough of these hardcovers out there, then I think it really would result in us writing it. I would want to write Space Masters till the day I die. It's a super fun process. Um, it's great working with these artists and it's great working with Joe. But yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of like trying to be, you know, smart, conservative businessmen about it and look at what we can do. Totally. We do have an ending written. I'll tell you that is that we do have an ending in mind. It's, it's not cool. flying by the feet of our pants. Would you guys ever consider, um, I know this is like a hot button topic right now. Uh, would you ever consider doing comicsology for a couple single issues separate from the trade? Uh, trade well, thing? so they're on there, right? I mean, like yeah. Humanoids has them up on there. Um, yeah, maybe. I'm a big fan. I mean, I, I'm a collector. Like I love my hardcovers and, and um, that's why I chose to make, like to put Space Bastards in a format that is like incredibly heavy and difficult to ship and all that stuff. <laughs> So I, I take a, the only reason I ask is because I take a class with um, Scott Snyder and his best track at yeah. and um, it's dope. And also I'm learning a lot, um, but they, I think what he's trying to do now is like, they'll do the single distributions for like the, uh, for the single issues. And then he's trying to sell like the hardcovers or hope that people buy them in the stores in bulk. And I don't, sure. I don't know, it, it sounds like a cool strategy. I'm not sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what is it? Uh, all right. So I have like four left. Uh, who's your Let's favorite character who was your favorite character to uh, create um yeah <laughs> and oh and who uh, which one do you relate to the most joe favorite character to create to create yeah um yeah you know uh, uh, probably probably zordak as far as this character creation i mean just 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 bringing him to life, I think, you know, he, visually, which Derek helped immensely and kind of getting his personality. He's the biggest stretch because he, you know, I, I think that I'm, I'm proud of that because I think it's, that, that, that's a tough sell. And I'm, I'm really glad that people liked him and, and uh, you know, enjoyed seeing him, you know, in action and, and you know, having conversations and stuff. So I'm, 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 I'm probably happiest with that uh, creation. I think that's hard to pull off. You know, I, I didn't know if people would find him annoying or tedious or, or or something but um he makes us laugh and and, and it's it's really worked out and derek we, we it's a real that's a real um good example of the synergy that we had uh, with this book i think uh, that that character in particular 
um, I most relate probably to either uh, Leroy Palestine or, or, or Calto as I, as I age, maybe more like Calto and day to day, like more like Leroy, which are more minor characters, but, you know, but I think there's, there's aspects of all these characters, personalities that you, that, that are, that I think most people can, can relate to, but, but those two I relate to the most. Yeah, I think, I think I, I will kind of do the weird thing and like not answer your question. I'll give you like a pseudo answer. Like I, I, I really like creating, I mean, there's, there's a piece of some sort of fractured, like regretful part of me or something. I think even it, no matter how tiny it is and like most of these characters, um, the most fun, I think in the process for me, it was probably Wayne Powers. I know he's not part of the, uh, the actual Space Masters cast itself. He's, you know, he's the foil, but um, the, the whole, the way that we came up with that, that whole process of trying to find uh, that, the, the good introductory villain to this, was pretty funny and interesting. I'll tell you just a quick anecdote. Is like, uh, I was trying to come up with like gross characters or people that were like funny, gross, maybe kind of more of like a Garth Ennis sort of character. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't working. And, and you know, Joe gives is kind of my feedback for that stuff too. And then uh, I forget how it came about, but I was basically like, there was this guy in high school who, you know, I was the video guy and he was more popular. And he got, he always got tasked with making the assembly videos that the whole school loved. And I, I just, it drove me nuts. And then he would like, we'd kind of like poke fun at each other in our own videos back and forth. And, you know, I reached out to that guy at some point and I was just like, man, I'm sorry for, you know, for being mean. And he was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. He like, he didn't even think that we had a fight on or that we were jousting or anything like that and then so i was telling the story to joe and joe realized he was just like yeah dude like you're the villain of that story that guy was not thinking about you at all and you were like best with like crumbling you know attacking and i, and I was like yeah you're right and then that kind of from there is kind of where the wayne powers character springboarded the idea of like somebody who just you know is just uh obsessed yeah, he's just a, he's just really got a problem with this other way of life and he won't let it go. You know, there's kind of almost like a, a con Noonien Singh thing there. And, and, and uh, yeah, so that was, that was a lot of fun. I, I, I kind of mirror what Joe said too. And the fact that like certain characters, when they, when the artist brings movement to them, I know they're static pages, but one of the most impressive things that I love about the, the artists is that like, like Derek introduced motion to Zordak. Like I could draw Zordak on a piece of paper and it would be a crappy picture, but more importantly than that, it wouldn't have any motion to it. But like, because when Derek draws him, I know exactly how he moves. And so like when Gabo came in to do that Brown Buffalo issue or story, that's part of the special delivery that came out last month. Um, that was kind of the one of the first things that we asked Gabo too, was like, Hey, when you have some time, you just do some like quick sketches of like Zordak doing things. And that was the thing that really impressed us immediately was, it was like, Holy crap. Like Gabo gets how Zordak moves. You know, yeah. like he understands that movement. It's the same thing when Simon draws Chuck, like both Simon and Derek, I think when they draw Chuck the Magic Wagon, he have like this kind of like bounciness to him uh, or this like kinetic, weird animated an energy to him that, you know, I think is pretty hard to get, you know? So it's always cool that like, I I'm always impressed when they like end up there, when when the artists kind of are able to create that, that, that movement between the panels as it were, yeah. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I, I love that too, because it's all, um, it's very specifically designed. So you guys are bringing out really cool in this, in this comic book, especially because those action sequences are just cool. It's like, oh, hey, it's like fluid motions. It's like still motions of, uh, or stills of like yeah. being executed in place. It's really, it's, 
it's brilliantly gorgeous. Even little things like Roy Sharpton moves. Like I used to act as Roy Sharpton when we had the movies. And um, obviously Derek dropped, like Derek kind of elevated that uh, to like a different kind of interpretation, which I, I love is great. But one of my favorite things that Derek did to it is like, all of a sudden, like, I kind of know Roy's height and I kind of know his like, his like, what do you call it? His gaunt, his, his, his gait, like he's, yeah, what yeah. he's like walking and like running and stuff. When they're all running through that, um, through that casino and stuff, you know, you see it like Roy moves in a certain way. It's really funny. Yeah, um, totally. It's, it's really cool. Uh, all right, three questions left, and then I'll call it a night. And thank you guys for doing this. I know we're over time and stuff, but it's I had technical issues. I apologize. Uh, no, all right, thanks so, for the man. Oh no, no, th- yeah, thank you guys. It's like this has been fun so far. But um, uh, let me let me just wrap up, and then we can literally talk on anything. Uh, fans of the series are curious, or at least I think so. Are you shipping Layla and Proton together? <laughs> By fans of the series, I mean this fan, and I'm like, is this a thing? I think this is a thing. But can, can you tell me? It really is for me. <laughs> you know, well, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you this. I, I mean, I, 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 thought, I thought so. I thought, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted a moment between them. And I remember I talked to Eric about it and I, I was like, listen, I know this is going to sound sappy or, but I, I think we need a moment. I think we need a moment between the characters that that's actually tender and intimate, you know, between, between two characters that, that could be compatible with each other. And, uh, and Eric was just flatly shut it down, and he did so. I mean, it was appropriate. He said, "Layla wouldn't be interested. She wouldn't do that. You know, she she hmm. she would not be interested in him." And um, you know, maybe at this stage in the story or whatever. But he said it so quickly and so def- <laughs> so so. I mean, we were sitting in a bar in San Diego, and uh, we were a few drinks in, and he was just like, "No, no, there's no way. There's no way. No, Layla's Layla wouldn't be interested. In there's no 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 fucking way she would do that." And uh, I was like, oh, you know, he's right. You know, he's right. What am I doing? You know, and I, and it would, it would have made me happy, but it wouldn't have been true to the character, at least at this point in the story. So, um, you know, you got, you got to, and, and that's made me think differently about her and about, and about Proton also. So I, I, I think deep down in, in, in Eric's lizard brain and somewhere in my subconscious, we, we have a different path for her. So I, I, that, that may not happen, or if it does happen, it's, it's not going to last. I think my personal my personal take on it is like I think that there is some sort of attraction like you know due to the intimacy of the situations they end up in, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah I think my point was initially like I just I, I she's got so many other big mountains to 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 climb I don't know if um, you know she's business she, she, yeah she's she was business she was she was working yeah. on I me mean, she had another agenda you're 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 right I mean you're absolutely right she didn't have time for that. But I can't say the same for Davey. I'll tell you that. that I don't think Davey looks at that the same way. So (laughs) depending on where you are in the story, but yeah. 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 Um, All right. Last two questions. And they're both um, more like overall questions, less about the series, more about the uh, journey, I guess. Uh, Do you have any advice for people who are seeking to kickstart their own dream comic book projects? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Don't. Just give up. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> um, I told this story actually recently. Is that like like I way back when I had the fortune of running into Steve Dillon and Garth Ennis at a at, at a at a through a mutual friend, and I ended up walking around New York City the first night I was ever in New York, um, ever walking around with with uh, Steve Dillon and hanging out with him until like eight eight in the morning, and and I was I wasn't really asking him about Space Bastards at the time, but I was basically I knew I wanted to do kind of this like 
this thing, this kind of story. And I knew I wanted to have it be a little bit, to cost a little bit more money to produce and, and put this thing together. And Steve was basically telling me all these horror stories about when he had his anthology series called Deadline, which Tank Girl is from. Mm-hmm. And uh, just telling me all this crazy stuff about just like how like, yeah, just so many, you know, fires put out and all this stuff. And I was basically with Steve was just like, well, so I'm glad I asked, man. So you're saying I definitely shouldn't, you know, invest money and, and do this. And he goes, no, you absolutely need to. Well, the bottom line is, is that no matter how difficult it is or whether it's a financial success or not, though you strive always for it to be a financial success or at least, at least to be self-sustaining, um, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing in my, there's just nothing like getting those stories out there in, uh, I think, kind of a, a certain condition, like after you work on them for a long time and stuff and you try to make them as, as the best that they can be and live in those characters and all that stuff. I mean, there's just nothing... You can't replicate that. There's just it's the best thing in the world. So his his advice was, yeah, man, no, you gotta do it. So yeah, don't give up. I mean, if you've got the if you got an idea, and if you can get it from you know into some sort of, I mean, the main thing is to just make something and complete it. Yeah. If you can if you can complete it and you can get somebody to read it, and you're happy with it, it makes you laugh or makes you you know <laughs> makes you smile when you think about it, or and you spend more time thinking about it than you do your your job or whatever else, then, then you got it. You know, you can't give up on it. You know, you, and you put it on Kickstarter, you put it, make it digital and get, try to get ads or Patreon or whatever, you know, you gotta do whatever you can to get people to read it. Totally. And uh, you guys very much love this project. It's so obvious and everything about it. So uh, excellent work too. Like, again, I'm looking forward to reading more. Uh, last question. Um, very basic one. Where can people help support the creation of more space, more space bastards? Spacebastards.com. If you're looking for us on social media, you can also find our social media at spacebastards.com. Yeah. So uh, links to social media are all there on the site. But spacebastards.com, we've got lots of merchandise on there. We've got uh, those deluxe hardcovers as well, which, like I said, are kind of like the director's cut way to read or experience uh, Space Bastards. And we've got some individual issues. We've got issue one. We got the old, um, the old uh, issue one that Gabo drew, the little prototype. We've got that for sale. We've got the black light issue. We've got some of those issue one version variants uh, for sale there. So you can kind of dip your toe in the water if you need to. Uh, but the, you know, so any, any, you buy a patch, you buy a button, you buy a book, all, any of that. You know, we've already paid our artists. We paid these guys in advance. We get it done. So everybody that's worked on these books have been paid. Any money we get now goes to paying them again, making more. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, and honestly, uh, I'm hoping, you know, that a lot of people will uh, buy more Space Bastards. I, I do see them in my local comic book shops, but mostly the uh, single issues and the actual uh, hardcovers. So I'm like, I don't know if that helps or hurts, but like, regardless, it is pretty cool that you guys have a lot of variant covers and stuff. So. If anybody's interested in your local comic shop of having the hardcovers there, definitely reach out to us. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, all right, guys, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, it's been a blast. Um, anything else you want to promote or talk about or final thoughts or anything like that? Or... Uh, Christian, thanks a lot for having us and for following us on Twitter and uh, just uh, reading it, you know, and uh, we're glad, you know, we like it when a fan of one of our artists reads our stuff and, and is, still, is still a fan of one of our artists. You know, we don't want to be, we don't want to write the thing that he draws that you think sucks, you know, like, oh, Derek's career is great, except for that Space Bastards thing, you know. Thank God we dodged that bullet. So that's that's wonderful. Well, not even that. It's just like I I'm a big supporter of the indies. I do a lot of coverage for indie games and indie comics, and I have a lot of friends who are you know in comics as well who are trying to release their things. So what you guys have done with this is kind of amazing, honestly. So if people don't give you enough props for that, 
They should. Yeah. It's pretty nutty. And it was pretty crazy for us to double down as much as we did. We're very thankful that people like the series. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's great. And it's it's it has legs in the sense that it's a universe that you guys made. This isn't just one person's journey. It's like this is kind of society and hinge. And I think I think it's weirdly relevant to the times just because uh like with all the obsession with space travel and then like all the package delivery stuff i'm like that kind of makes sense for everything happening right now so you guys are on the money with that good job thanks christian yeah thank you